Uh, it's been already such a rich time for us to be together this morning, honoring our veterans, worshiping our God. And uh, today we uh, come to the next in our series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we're coming to the word gentleness today. It's the eighth of the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit, the word gentleness. And against the backdrop of war, against the backdrop of possibly the abuse you've taken by somebody else at work this week, um, this is a pretty important word. It has everything to do with how we connect with each other. And isn't it one way? Just, just think in your mind just for a moment. Um, Maybe you got got called into the principal's office. Maybe your husband needed to confront you about something he was not happy with. Maybe uh, your boss just dropped in and sat across the desk from you. And in those moments, you're grateful for gentleness. Can I hear an amen in the house? Those moments when your heart's beating really fast and you're going, "Uh uh-oh, And then someone may be clear, may be honest with you, hopefully honest with you, but gentle, but gentle. This is what we're talking about. So it's found in Galatians chapter 5. Let's read it. The fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and say it out loud again, gentleness, gentleness. And then we'll still have one more, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You don't go wrong living your lives with those characteristics in you. Gentleness. Unfortunately, it feels like kind of a wimpy word, wimpy word. It's not the tough guy word. But just get Proverbs 25, 15 with me for a moment. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Gentleness has power that's unbelievable. That's why John Wooden said, uh, it takes strength inside to be gentle on the outside. The strength we can have inside to be gentle on the outside can literally break a bone. It can accomplish incredible things. It can break barriers. Gentleness. And we've also been saying that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, this list of these nine things we just read, are, in essence, a character description of Jesus. That's why his resurrection spirit working in us brings the fruit of those same qualities, the same things grow in us. And so uh, here it is in Matthew 11, verse 29, where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, a yoke would be a burden you're carrying or a plow you're pulling. And he uses that word picture. He says, whatever whatever weighs you down, he said, I want you to exchange your yoke for my yoke. And will you be exhausted, driven, abused as a result? No. He said, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you're going to find rest. You're going to find rest to your souls. Jesus said, I'm gentle. There's something deep in the character of Jesus and his care and humility that is not out to exploit us, it's not out to exhaust you, it's not out to abuse you, it's not out to demean you, and everything that a lack of gentleness 
could do to you to victimize you. Instead, he said, he said, you let me carry all the pressures. You let me carry them. You, you offload your yoke and you put on my yoke and you will not find yourself to be guilt-ridden and religiously driven and exhausted and abused. You will find rest because I'm gentle. I'm gentle. I know that hasn't always been some of our perhaps church life experiences. And religious life can sometimes not be gentle. But life with Jesus, which is at the heart of it all, will bring us rest. In fact, when I was thinking about this, I was, I was thinking, maybe we need to look at what gentleness is not. I used to live in Southern California. My, our two daughters grew up there. And I used, to, I used to describe the weather in terms of what it was not. It wasn't hot. It wasn't cold. It wasn't humid. It wasn't windy. It wasn't cloudy. It was just paradise. Yeah. And sometimes some things are better understood by what they're not. Here's what gentleness is not. It's not cruelty. In the midst of a very cruel world. And we even love being entertained by watching other people be cruel to each other in, 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 the, in the media. It's not being harsh. It's not being like, like uncaring about how people might feel with your response. It's not gruffness. I love that word, gruffness. Just cantankerous and rude. And, and it's not gruffness. And it's not meanness, whether it's with your friends at school or any of us online. It's not meanness. It's not bullying. Um, I, was, I'm, I'm a short, I was always a short, skinny little kid. And I got bullied when I was in school. I got bullied verbally. And I got bullied Physically, I'd get punched out. I'd end up on the ground, uh, just just bullied. We didn't have an internet back in the days when I was in sixth grade. So now it's just taken on a whole new dimension with cyberbullying that just literally drives young people to suicide. That is not gentleness. Jesus' kingdom. He talks about this this seemingly wimpy but powerful world, gentleness. He said it can, it can literally save lives if you're gentle rather than abusive and bullying. It's not assault. Being gentle is not assaulting people. It's not domestic violence. It's not sexual assault. It's not punching out some guy because you don't like what he's saying. And it's definitely not it's definitely not mass shootings like we're seeing over and over and over again in our culture, God help us. And it's not hate crimes, and it's not anti-Semitism, and it's not hating Arabs, and it's not anything else. That's not gentleness. Gentleness comes out of the heart of a God who loves people and wants us to see them through his eyes. I do need to mention, though, because I think this question right now is sort of the elephant in the room. Okay, gentleness, so what about war? Is God against war? And of course, of course, uh, Jesus is coming back as we sang this morning, and war will be no more. But what about war? How does gentleness fit into war? Well, first of all, we need to understand that, that all of us, um, all of us personally need to walk in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and these are personal attributes. 
that ought to be a part of all of our lives as Jesus' resurrection spirit transforms us. However, the Bible does talk about not just us as individuals, but government. And he sometimes assigns other responsibilities to government that, that don't justify vigilantism on my own part. Like, like I, can just, I can just enforce the law all by myself. No, that's the role of the state. And in Romans 13, he talks about civil and governmental leaders. And he says in Romans 13, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. So he's, talk, he's not talking about pastors. He's not talking about your dad. He's talking about the state. He's talking about civil leaders in government. And he, he says, the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Well, how so? Because if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the what? Sword. That's not exactly an instrument of gentleness. <laughs> But, the, but, but rulers do bear the sword, uh, and, and they do it for good reason, because they are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And the larger context is that government leaders are called to function because they're an extension of that attribute of God that is his justice, his justice. And, and, and there is a moral wrong to not resisting evil. There is a moral wrong to not being concerned about any kind of justice ever happening. And so he says, I do to protect the innocent. Uh, you will find there are police officers and you will find there are people who have the right to arrest you. And they, they bear the sword. And then when it comes to the larger question of war throughout Christian history, the idea of the doctrine of just war has developed. That, that, that because... Uh, unless we resist evil, the bad guys are always going to win. Is that right? Should we let Hit Hitler just keep massacring Jews? Should, should we let every tyrant just unresisted take over the world? The, there are metrics that have been developed theologically and biblically to say there may be just wars. There may be times where a war is justified if it's resisting evil because the state bears the sword to protect the innocent. Now, not every Christian um, buys into just war theory. Uh, I know Christians um, that, that, have, that are, have been conscientious objectors for the life. They, they, they would be pacifists, and, 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 and they, just, they just believe that war and ever taking up in a violent way against another person is it's just something they could never bring themselves to. And there are probably people in this camp in our congregation this morning. At the same time, we have recognized those who have been veterans, who have, laid, who have been willing to lay down their life in defense, in the armed services of, of our country. And, and we want to rightfully give honor to honor as due because the state does take up the sword. He may not let you personally, he may say to you personally, you need to walk in gentleness, but, you, but the state um, may need to resist evil and preserve freedom and protect everything we love. In our fellowship in the Assemblies of God, and I'm going to leave it here, uh, our roots, when God poured out His Spirit over 100 years ago in the Azusa Street Revival, many of our roots were pacifist roots. But by the time we got through two world wars in the 20th century and realizing that evil needed to be resisted in some way, 
Um, now our, our fellowship is actually neutral on that subject and you follow your conscience and you've got to do what's right before God. But that doesn't mean that if the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, that doesn't mean that it's wrong for the state in some way to take up the sword to protect and enforce justice. Okay, everybody just breathe. Just take a breath right there. Who knows how much email I'm going to get this week. I don't know. But just right there. Let's come back to you <laughs> and to me. I'm always preaching to myself first. Here's our marching orders. It's Philippians 4, verse 5. So let your gentleness be evident to all. For the Lord is near. The Lord is near. He's watching. We're accountable to him. And there's coming a day where he will come and there will be more, no more war and no more violence in our world. He became the shock absorber of violence and injustice when he died sacrificially at the cross. He wasn't railing back at us. He demonstrated ultimately his gentleness when he became the willing recipient of the evil of the world. And he carried your sin and my sin on himself. And he died in our place willingly so that he could bring us life. And so he said, I am coming back and I'm going to finish what I started at the cross. But you, I want to put a spirit of gentleness in you and let your gentleness just be obvious to everybody around you because that's how you treat everybody in your life with gentleness. So as we close today, we're going to go fast, but I, I need to talk about our speaking and our acting, our actions and our reacting. This, this, this is where it's all going to get tested for us. First of all, our speaking. I mean, do my words hurt or heal? Do my words, and words are incredibly powerful. I grew up with that little stupid little rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. By the time I was three and a half years old, I knew that wasn't true. I still remember hurtful words from 50, 60, I'm not going to go beyond that, years ago. I still remember. I mean, words devastate you. Words traumatize people. Words haunt people in the middle of the night for years and years and years. Words are incredibly powerful. And I have to ask myself when it comes to gentleness, am I hurting people with my words or are my words equally powerful on the other end? Are my words bringing healing? So in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, for instance, Peter writes, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, put him first, and then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. If you make Jesus your Lord, you're going to have people actually hate you. Uh, you you're going to have people who definitely disagree with you. Most people are not Christians. And they're going to disagree with you. But, but they see something different about you. And, and you've got hope. You've got something and meaning that they don't have in their lives. And they ask you about it. And, and you know what? Uh, I, I, I've gotten in conversations with non-Christians sometimes. And if I didn't throttle it back, it could have ended up in a yelling match. You know, you just get upset. And they're, they're starting to throw names at you. They're cursing at you. And you just want to get even. He said, no, you engage people even who don't disagree with you. You engage them with what? Gentleness. 
And you respect people whether they disagree with you or not. Just because they disagree with you doesn't mean they hate you or you hate them. You treat everybody with gentleness and respect. And so a great guiding principle is Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What if out of our mouths never came anything except that which built people up? That, those would be gentle words. Those would be encouraging words. At times, they're confronting words, but you still disagree and confront with gentleness and respect. Your words are incredibly powerful. Some of you have heard of Eugene Peterson, pastor, best-selling author. Peterson said, uh, I was with my family one day. We were in Yellowstone National Park. It was gorgeous that day. And all these wildflowers were growing. And it was against the law, actually, to pick wildflowers in national parks like these. And Peterson said, but here, over here, about 30 yards away from me, I saw this little kid. He's four or five years old. And what was he doing? Uh, he was running through, just grabbing up flowers, picking flowers, just oblivious. And he said, I got so angry in that moment, so resentful of how he was breaking the law and desecrating the beauty that he said, I yelled at him. And I said, stop picking those flowers. And the poor, poor little kid just froze and his eyes were big as saucers and, and he was terrified and he dropped the flowers and he started crying. And Peterson said, I'll quote him, you can imagine what happened next. My wife and my children, my children especially, were all over me. Daddy, what you did was far worse than what he did. You're just picking a few flowers, and you yelled. You scared him. You ruined him. He's probably going to have to have counseling when he's 40 years old. <laughs> My kids were right. You can't yell people into holiness. You can't terrify people into the sacred. My yelling was far worse violation of the holy place than his picking a few flowers. Later, I had plenty of opportunity to reflect on this, reminded as I frequently was by my own children. Let your gentleness be obvious to all. Are your words hurting people or are they healing people? This is, this is where it starts. And then your actions. Do my actions, do they abuse people or do they uplift people? Do they abuse or do they uplift? Now in verse 11 of 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, but you man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, endurance, and oh, one more. Say it out loud. Gentleness and gentleness. Now, the man of God was a young man in his early 30s, Timothy. Paul had left him with an incredibly hard assignment in the large church of Ephesus. A lot of toxic things were seeping into the culture and the doctrine of that church and its theology. And he had left this young guy to confront it all. And he was younger than most of his critics and there were times where he would say, Timothy, you got to stand up to these guys. I mean, get in their face, rebuke them with all authority and correct them. And he, he would in these letters say that to Timothy. And yet he would always qualify. But, but, but what you do, do it with gentleness. Even though you're a leader, even though you have a place of some positional influence, you correct, you change, you lead, but you don't do it in an abusive way. Because our actions can uplift people, but our actions can also abuse, abuse people. And so just for a moment, 
Any of you who have any kind of influence by virtue of who you are or a position you hold, we, we, we can't just skip over this. We, we just got to land here a minute. Because I know there's others of us who have been deeply hurt by abusive leaders. And some of those leaders have been in the church itself, in our backgrounds. Some of them, uh, some of you are really hurt. They say close to a third of employees in the workplace have unhealthy, toxic supervisors and bosses who, who probably are a little traumatizing in the way they treat you. And that's not God's way. I tell you, if you have any influence, if you lead a small group, if you teach a Sunday school class, if you own a corporation, if you're supervising a work team, I don't, if you lead outreach volunteers here at the church, I, I just want to say to you, you use your power in a, way that, in a way that uplifts people, but never use your power in a way that abuses people. Just like Paul said to Timothy, with all of the challenge he was facing, he was saying, don't power up on people. Don't abuse them just to get your way. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 5. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not lording it over them, but being an example to the flock. Listen, in leadership, especially in the church, we don't lead by powering up on people. We lead by example and influence. We lead by influence. And so I'm going to put this on the screen. Uh, just a few years ago, there was a global church planting leader who was dismissed. Christianity Today did an interview with 15 people who served with him. He was, he was dismissed for abusive leadership. And 15 people who served under him described to Christianity Today a pattern of spiritual abuse through bullying and intimidation, overbearing demands in the name of the mission, the rejection of critical feedback. Some of you have bosses like that. Some of you maybe had pastors like that who, 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 who just as soon as you say anything of critical feedback to them, they tell you have a rebellious spirit. If you're on staff, you probably got fired. I mean, they just, they will never listen to honest feedback and they have an expectation of unconditional loyalty. You follow me unconditionally or you're gone. And there's something wrong with you, not with me. And I want to just say, if you have been, we're, we're, our altars are going to be open at the end, per partners here. If, if, if you're struggling through trying to get over spiritual abuse in your life, it's very real. I'm sure there's people in this room who felt the effects of spiritual abuse from spiritual leaders. Others of you probably traumatized by the way you're being treated at work by toxic leaders, deeply insecure, narcissistic leaders who can't be told anything and can't see past themselves and you're not valuable to them. They don't lift you up. They just abuse you with manipulation, bullying. They just power up and intimidate you to get you doing what they want to do. I want to tell you, in Jesus' name, that is not the Spirit of God. That's the fruit of human brokenness. And if you're a leader and you're toxic, I also want to say there's hope for you. You don't need to keep damaging the people in your life. Jesus can give you a new spirit, a gentle spirit that respects people and cares for them and harnesses your actions and harnesses your words until you see people in the incredible value that God sees them and you treat them accordingly. And then, of course, there's the last one. 
not only our words, our actions, but our reactions, right? Our reactions. So here's what Proverbs says, Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So now we're talking about wrath coming at you, and how are you going to react? And it's very easy, most of us, our natural tendency, if someone really comes at us angry, it's to react bad in a way that provokes rather than diffuses. Do my reactions provoke or they, do they diffuse the situation? So my job in, my, in our house is to take out the garbage. Sandy said, you haven't taken out the garbage yet. I said, well, I'm getting to it. And she said, well, you're pretty lazy, aren't you? And I go, I'm not lazy. Just look at that pile of junk in the corner that you didn't take care of. And then she says, no, I think, I think you just don't care, period. You don't care about me. And I'm going, what does not caring about you have to do with taking the garbage out or not? And I says, of course I care. It's you that doesn't care. And you can imagine where that goes. Because every reaction just provokes another reaction. Instead of, uh, you haven't taken the garbage out yet. You know, I could afford probably to have a gentle, a gentle answer and say, uh, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just had to finish this and I'm on it right now. And, and, and you can trust me here. Rather than what's wrong with you. But look what Proverbs says. A gentle answer a gentle answer can turn away wrath. It doesn't create an equal or greater reaction that gets in that vicious cycle. That, risk, that risk reaction incites a worse reaction, which in turn incites a worse reaction. And oh, the joy of a good fight. And he says a gentle word can avoid some good fights. Not that you don't nicely talk about real issues, but a harsh word stirs up anger. In fact, Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He's warning us, in our anger, we can sin. We can react in ways that aren't gentle, that aren't honoring of other people, that just make it worse, that just deepen the hurt on both sides. And uh, then we play the silence games, and, and we do all these things. And God said, I want you to live with my spirit inside of you in a way in which, in which you're constantly diffusing potential reactions rather than provoking them. So Brian Wilkerson, I love it in Anger Management, his book, Anger Mismanagement, um, or it's actually a message. He's a pastor. He gave Anger Mismanagement. You see, anger is always about control. If I yell loud enough, if I speak harshly enough, if I sulk long enough, if I strike hard enough, I can fix things. I can make people do what I want them to do. Anger gives us the illusion of control. The irony, of course, is that when we do that, we end up losing control rather than gaining it. We make things worse instead of better. But Paul comes along and he writes us in this letter to the Galatians. He says, you know what? The fruit of God's spirit in you is gentleness. So we ask ourselves these questions. Do my words hurt or heal? 
Do my actions abuse people or lift them up? And do my reactions provoke or do they diffuse? And for this, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Like the worship team, if they would come. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself. I invite you to clothe yourself. Like I would take my jacket off, and then I would take my, put it back on. I want to invite you to clothe yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit with compassion and kindness, humility, and gentleness and patience. I think we can do that because just before Jesus ascended into heaven, before the day he comes back again, he said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem and don't do anything for me until you have been clothed with power from on high. Let the Holy Spirit just clothe you with his power. That's why right after saying, giving us the fruit of the Spirit, Paul would say three verses later, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. Let's say, God, today I'm going to clothe myself, not, not by psyching this up inside of me, but, but, but by, Lord, bringing you my anger, bringing you what, these toxic things that make me so vicious against other people. My God, my God, come, Lord, and heal me and bring your grace and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, if you come to this altar and God fills you with the Holy Spirit, I doubt you're going to want to go out and punch the first person you see. He's going to give you a different spirit. He's going to give you a spirit that values and loves a gentle spirit.